Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Top 5, a show where we count things down from number 5 to number 1. Sometimes you'll give them a cookie. Sometimes you'll give them a piece of candy or a pat on the head or a hug. This week, we're talking about the Top 5 Positive Parent-Child Relationships <laughs> in Media. Uh, this is, uh, of course, they're all, I always say this, comes from one of our fantastic listeners. Yay! Uh, top five par- uh, positive parent-child relationships in media. Dear top five, comics are second only to young adult novels in depicting parents that are either A, horrible, or B, absent slash dead. Mm-hmm. But there must be some counterexamples. What are your five best examples of positive parent-child relationships in media? And um, my number five, I'm going to go out a little bit on a stretch on... Because when we say media, we're talking about, you know, radio, television, film, comic books, newspapers, podcasts, Mm -hmm. and probably the best example of positive parent-child relationships in podcasts are the Johnsons over at the Frog Pants Network. Uh, Scott and his wife have raised kids from very young little children's to some very grown-up adults. And they are wonderful children. And Scott shares stories on his parenting examples and things that he and his wife have done. And um, it's just it's just super positive. Everything that they do is nothing but positivity around their children. And if you listen to any of the shows that Scott is on, when he starts talking about the relationship that he has with his kids and when you see them uh, interacting on you know, Carter, his daughter, who's a fantastic artist. If you see them doing a, a podcast together or a live stream where they're doing uh, art together, you can tell that the, there's a po- super positive bond going on uh, with that Johnson family. So I'm putting the Johnsons down as my number five best example of positive parent-child relationships in media because they're all over the place. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, Scott said that they were writing up a, a parenting book, he and his wife together. Kim cool. is, is her name. So that is my number five. Uh, Rodrigo, what do you have for your number five? Uh, my number five is uh, um, a person from a video game who always tries to do the right thing and is always very positive to uh, his wife and adopted children. I am, uh, of course, talking about Octodad. Uh, <laughs> Now, as a video game character, you'd think he'd be going on crazy adventures and saving the world, but no. Octodad, all he wants to do is, like, make a sandwich 
or like <laughs> get a reception hall ready for a wedding. And he, it's very difficult because he's an octopus pretending to be a person. In fact, that's the only reason why he's at my number five is because technically he is lying to his family because they think that he's not an octopus. Right. Um, but uh, I, I believe the tagline for the Octodad game is uh, a loving husband, devoted father, secret octopus. So, and it is, it is in that order. So my number five is uh, Octodad and his family. Nice. Nice. Matthew, what do you have for number five? My number five actually is one that I considered not putting on here because here's the deal. This is a, an interaction that has been around literally for decades. But for about the first 50 years, these parents were dead. Now, all that changed in 1986 with the revamp of Superman, a new Superman number one, during which it was discovered that Superman rocketed Earth. He was adopted by Jonathan and Martha Kent, and they did not die. So after 50 years of being dead parents, all of a sudden, the parents are back in the life. And in 1993, mm -hmm. live-action Superman came to TV, The Adventures of Lois and Clark. Now, if you've ever seen this show, it's a really wonderful Superman take because it says that Clark Kent is the real identity. Superman is a thing that he puts on to go and save people and keep them off his trail. Ma Kent made his costume. Jokes mm -hmm. about how tight his costume is during the series he calls home to smallville yeah like to talk week. to ma and pa yeah. yeah and you know they help him figure out superman concerns they actively help him be a better hero and he will call them up and go ma ma lois is mad at me and they'll have this interaction where ma and pa can't give him folksy wisdom from kansas and then he has to go back and deal with it in metropolis and you're dealing with a Superman who's all at 26, 27 years old. So he's an adult. He's a grown man. But he has such a close relationship with his parents that he can still call them when he has a problem and say, Ma, Pa, what should I do? What can I do here? I, you know, I need some guidance. And I think that it's really great to see a hero, you know, first of all, whose parents are not dead. Well, and I'm not throwing exactly. shade at anybody. Yeah. Not throwing shade at any bats here. I'm saying that dead parents, as you know, as the original poster said, dead parents are a thing that is is incredibly common. And even yeah, characters no, who haven't Joel. had dead parents. Yeah. yeah. That's well, the thing. I mean, that's the thing, is like it really gives you that character who does good things with the powers that he has because he was raised mm -hmm. right. Right, right. You know, right. It's like not not nothing compels him. Nothing, no, like, sickening uh, obsession Terror. drives him. It's right. just like, this is someone who says, I have the ability to do something good, and I've always been taught that you yep. should. Mm -hmm. So he does. Yep. And all those and reasons. And mom and dad help him. All those yeah. reasons are why the Kints are my number three on my positive nice. relationship. Uh, yeah, it's, nice. I mean, it's just the whole thing where, and, and I think it's probably partially due in part to the book that I just finally finished. Uh, it's Superman, uh, which came out you know, mm. years and years ago. Um, like 1978. I think. No, 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 no. It came out <laughs> in like 2010 or 11 or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, you know, he Clark is troubled about, you know, what is he supposed to do in the world? What is he supposed to do with his, his powers? Now, his mom has died, but his father is still around. Uh, but even growing up before she passes, 
um, you can tell there's interactions with the mother in the book about, you know, what do you do when you're scared? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And so it's very positive in that. And then, of course, once the kids are brought back to life in the comic books or even in Superboy uh, mm-hmm. with uh, with the kids running around doing their things, it's 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 just really smart. And when you get uh, when you get the Dukes of Hazard telling Superman how to run his life, then, you know, you mm-hmm. got something special. So the kids are my number three on that yep. list. It's only uh, half a Dukes of Hazard, right? Well, both of them showed up in the show, so. Um, oh well, were they related in the show? They were or cousins in cousin, the show. No, no, not in Dukes. Well, of in Hazzard, the Dukes of Hazard, but in the in Smallville when Tom. I Wolf never watched Smallville, up. but that's oh. the one that I watched. Oh, okay. They were actually old friends and associates. Oh, okay, that's what it was. I barely remember that episode. That's probably the one that yeah. I kind of from uh, when they used through. to run moonshine through Boss Hogg's yeah. territory. My number four, regardless of what you hear about what happened offset or what's going on with the actors today. When you go back and look at full house and you look at the Tanners, that is my number four example of positive parent child relationships. Now, granted, everyone has to have an antic that happens. In fact, all of these examples, if you're looking on television in the sitcom category, you run into this. Here's an antic. Now here's the result. And here are the parents not hitting their kid, not yelling at their kid, but Hey, we're a family. We're going to stick together. And when you have uh, your wife die and you've got cu- you've got an uncle and a best friend who are coming in and you're raising uh, three kids together, uh, then that's super positive. And regardless of what you thought of the show or the new show that's out there or, you know, <laughs> lives of these actors and actresses, I think the Tanners, yeah. the Tanner family is a great example of a positive child relationship uh, with the uh, parents in, in uh, television. So that's my number four. Uh, Rodrigo, very disappointed in you, Michelle. <laughs> what do you have for number four? Yeah, that's, I mean, does he ever say, you little S, what'd you do that yeah. for? He's uh, like, I'm just he, very he doesn't get mad. He's just like, I'm very disappointed yeah, in see, you, Michelle. That's, if that is the worst that happens, if you're a kid and that's how your parents treat you, if that's the worst thing that happens in your life, man, I envy you. Uh, yeah. Rodrigo, what do you have for number four? Uh, my my number four is uh, the Jetsons. Oh, okay. oh. Um, yeah. So it, it's interesting because I, I thought a lot about this, and um, I was like, "Oh, what are some like popular cartoon dads?" And I thought about Fred Flintstone with with Pebbles, um, but Fred always has this kind of edge to him. He's always kind of trying to get rich quick. He's doing these things, and he kind of. It's kind of like that prototypical bumbling dad that would eventually lead us to Homer Simpson and Peter Griffin, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, George really seems like a guy who wants to do the right thing, and he just always makes dumb decisions, but that's not really his fault. Like, a lot of the problems that he gets himself into don't come from, like, ha, 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 I'm going to get one over on people. He's just kind of trying to do something correct something nice something good and it kind of goes wrong for him um but he's always good to his kids um i think he's uh interestingly uh despite the fact that he lives in like the 30th century or something he's kind of a man from a previous generation to this mm-hmm. 30th mm-hmm. century he's like constantly uh surprised by kids today but he's never like really very negative to his children even though like is mm-hmm. <laughs> like especially i think in some episodes judy is just written as such a snot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yes. Um, well, Judy is like the, the typical teen circa 1965, yeah. Right, right. yeah. Which um, is weird, because it's the year 2350. Exactly, exactly. So uh, I, I, I kind of feel that the, the show kind of uh, sometimes 
some of the antagonistic sources are both Jane and Judy. Um, and that's played for laughs, not necessarily a great thing, but George is, is generally speaking like a good husband and a good father, um, and pet owner and robot, robot owner. Robot owner. So, yeah. So George Jetson, uh, to me is, is, uh, and, and his family is, is a good, good example of a good family dynamic. Yeah. Matthew, you're number four. My number four, uh, strangely, is something that seems like it's probably way out of my normal wheelhouse. And that, my friend, is just proof that, well, everybody has secret hidden worlds. But when you talk about romantic comedies, a lot of times in a romantic comedy setting, especially when you're dealing with teenagers and young adults, the parents are very poorly written. They're like... The, the, the nudgy parents or the angry parents or, God help us, the absent parents. But a few years ago, uh, Emma Stone, who is an actress that I really, really, really love, was in a movie called Easy A. And the story of Easy A is that she is a nice girl who gets a bad reputation, turns that bad reputation around, turns it into pure profit. And then somehow it all comes crashing down on her, but she ends up coming out of it relatively unscathed, partly because of the support of her weird hippie parents, the Pendergasts. Throughout this movie, no matter what weird, crazy stuff is going on, where she's pretending to be the, the school bicycle so that the, the boys in the school can get big reputations with the other guys, and in return they're giving her like gift cards to the Home Depot – so she can redecorate the whole house and do all the things that she wants to do in her weird way. And throughout the movie, her parents are just like, you know, this is going to come back and bite you. And they're really supportive and they're really funny. The interactions between Olive and her parents are just hysterical to watch. It's the kind of parent that I hope to be once I get a full-fledged uh, teenager floating around my house. And hopefully I won't have to drink a whole lot to get to that level. But what it really comes down to is they know their daughter is doing stuff that's probably not smart, but they're going to let her make her mistakes. They'll support her. They'll tell her this is probably not smart, but they let her go out and then they don't leave her to hang. They don't leave her to deal with it. They come in and they support her as best they can. And they tell her, look, you have to deal with this. You have to fix this. How are you going to fix this? And then when she says she doesn't know, they might nudge her a little bit. And I think that that's really wonderful and really rare in teen movies because again usually parents are afterthoughts at best in these kind of movies so my number four the pendergasts from easy a check that movie out by the way it's really funny cool um i already did my number three rodrigo who do you have for your number three uh my number three are two characters that aren't uh the or really three characters are not parent and child they're actually uh, godparents and child, and that's uh, Wanda and Cosmo and Timmy okay. from the Fairly Odd Parents. And you might think, wait a minute, Wanda and Cosmo basically give Timmy whatever he wants, um, <laughs> and really that's where the hijinks of any given episode come from, is that Timmy wishes for something and his wish goes wrong, right? But really, usually you have to, if you look at every episode... It usually goes like this. Timmy sees something he wants. He wishes for it. Wanda warns him. She says, you know what? This might not go the way you think. And then Timmy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want it anyway. 
Um, and then they're like, okay, if that's what you want, right? So uh, The Fairly Odd Parents, weirdly, is a show about parents letting their kids make mistakes within a controlled environment because mm -hmm. they're magic and they're bound to grant his wishes or whatever. But they're always like, okay, do you want to stop now? Do you want to stop now? And then, you know, finally gets to the moment where he kind of has to, like, undo his wish, right, in, in some way because it's all gone crazy. So it, it's an interesting take on parenting. It's this idea that um, parents can be hands-off and still involved or even facilitators at, without being, without spoiling a child, right? That you can say, okay, well, you want to take... Uh, dancing classes, let's go. And then it's like, well, I don't want to take a dancing classes anymore. It's like, well, this is what you wish for. So you're finishing out the year kind mm -hmm. of stuff, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's that, that's the sort of thing that uh, the show hints at. And they're always very supportive. They're always very nice. Uh, Cosmo is not intelligent at all. Um, uh, but he's still like a very nice, supportive person. Wanda is way smarter than everybody else on the show, but still, she doesn't let that get ahead of herself um and yeah they're just kind of like helping timmy get through his childhood you know a childhood which by the way is with parents that are kind of very neglectful like haha mm -hmm. funny but if you look at timmy's actual parents they're terrible yeah so yes. it's kind of this situation where he needs that support from his uh his magical floating godparents who turn into goldfish mailboxes uh you know anything else to to kind of keep uh, incognito Magic. Yep. Matthew, who do you have for your number three? There's actually some magic in my number three, but it's a different kind of magic. Is it the one you and find in the old silk, silk hat? No, it's a, a much darker magic. And oh. by dark, I mean really he weird. Be named. He really yes, is the best It's parent. clearly Voldemort. No, no, don't say his name. I can say his name. I'm a muggle. But here's the thing. What about Beetlejuice? There is something really, 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 just don't say the C word. Um, there's something really, really compelling about that weird, dark aesthetic. <laughs> and that weird, dark aesthetic, he said, talking over Stephen. <laughs> Rodrigo talked a little bit about those 60s archetypes as they show up in the Jetsons in the future. The same thing is seen, but in an in inverted way, in the Adams Family. And if you mm. look at the 1960s Adams Family, Tish and Gomez are madly in love. And they are so weird. They are freaky people. He crashes his toy trains and she cuts the roses off and arranges the thorns. And their children are equally strange. Wednesday is this weird, dark kind of, I don't know what you'd even call it, an arcane sort of child. And Pugsley is a weird, freaky little kid. But they're incredibly supportive of anything they they feel like they're into. Their kids are weird, and they're okay with that. And they're going to support their children and tell them, be weird. Do not conform to anybody else's thoughts or standards, but do what makes you happy. Do what it is that's in your heart. And if that means that you go out and you do incredibly creepy things, then do incredibly creepy things. Live it, love it, own it. And I think that, you know, the fact that Pugsley can go and hang from a branch by his teeth or Wednesday can go out with her pet black widow spider is really a testament to the kind of strength of character that these parents have, have invested in their children. And the fact that there's so much love in that family 
they clearly love each other. They clearly love their children. They even love creepy grandmama and thing and cousin it. It's a close knit family. It's a really, really nice aesthetic. And even though they're creepy and they're kooky and also some kind of ooky, they're really good parenting kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Examples. Yeah. I feel like if I were to, if I were to be as good a father as Gomez Adams is, I'd be doing okay. I don't know if I can pull off pinstripes, no. but I'd be doing okay. All right, cool. We are up to our number twos. And, uh, you know, when you're a young kid, probably somewhere in between the ages of eight and 15, you do a lot of really stupid things. But instead of getting yelled at or getting smacked upside the head or the belt or the paddle or whatever that comes out, you need a father or a mother that are super understanding and just explain, hey, we know you're a stupid kid. It's not your fault that you do these dumb things and are constantly getting into trouble. You're naive. Someday, hopefully, you will grow up out of this. But until then, Beaver Cleaver, your parents will understand and explain things to you in a very nice 1950s, 1960s way. And if you think about... about No, if you're talking about Ward Cleaver and June, a couple of great parents, right? I mean, go do what you need to do, have fun, stay out of trouble. But if you do get into trouble... We'll be there and help explain to you why this wasn't the right thing to do. But we're not going to smack you upside the head. We're not going to take away your Nintendo. We're not going to, you know, make you go without (laughs) TV for a week. We'll just say, oh, beaver. And then next week, we'll hope your antics are a little bit more in line. So my number two, The Cleavers, Ward and June from the uh, TV show, The Cleavers. (laughs) Leave it to Beaver. Leave it to Beaver. Leave it to The Cleavers. Yes, leave it to Cleavers. Uh, Rodrigo, what do you have for number two? Uh, my number two is uh, an adoptive family, um, all of who are very supportive to each other. Uh, the because basically the the show uh, centers around a, a kind of an already extant group of four people, and then an adoptive son comes into the mix, and um, it's kind of partially about them dealing with that and the fact that he doesn't look like them and he's not like them. I'm talking about the the family from Dinosaur Train, uh, if you're familiar. Yeah, uh, Dinosaur Train. That's Dinosaur right. Train. Uh, Dinosaur so. Train never going by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Soul Asylum, it's a great album. Yep. So, uh... The, the family of Dinosaur Train is Mr. and Mrs. Pteranodon, mm-hmm. who have uh, three, I think, yeah, three, three kids. Children, yeah. yeah, three children. And then to this family uh, comes a- another egg that ended up in their nest, and it's a little Tyrannosaurus named Buddy. Um, and they're like, well, I guess you're our son now. And so uh, they kind of embark on this ongoing adventure to learn all about dinosaurs and stuff. I think to explain to Buddy that it's okay to be different um, in the show, in the actual show, they don't just gloss over this. They talk about uh, kind of a little bit of Buddy's apprehension about the fact that he doesn't look like the rest of his yeah. family. And eventually he starts kind of voicing a, um, Rawr, I'm going to eat you because I'm a carnivore. Ah. Yeah. Uh, he starts uh, voicing a positivity about it. He's like, yeah. yeah, it's okay if your family doesn't look exactly like you do and everything mm-hmm. else. He meets other T-Rexes. Mm-hmm. They allow him mm-hmm. to connect to his T-Rexness. 
but he's never like, oh, well, I'm going to go be with the other T-Rexes. He always goes back to his family. Yep. You know, like Mm -hmm. he that's who he is. He's one of the Pteranodon family, even though he himself is not a a Pteranodon. Um, This is part of uh, PBS's uh, secret um, agenda to to create well-adjusted people. Um, (laughs) All of their all of their shows have all of these like undercurrents of like, hey, adopted kids. It's okay to be adopted. And like, hey, urban kids. You know, there's all here's all this stuff that's going on in cities. And it's like, hey, country kids, here's all this stuff that's going on in the country. Like, you know, be nice. Basically, yeah, PBS, all their undercurrent is like, be nice, you guys. Everybody else is sad, too. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, my uh, my number two, the uh, the family from Dinosaur Train. Very cool. Uh, Matthew, what do you have for your number two? My number two takes me back to the 1990s, to Rodrigo's youth. Yes. A time when Friday nights were time for ABC. And you sit and you would watch your, your ABC. What do they call that? Must see TV? Uh, TGIF. Oh, no, TGIF. 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 Yep. That's right. Yeah, because I didn't watch all of it. I only watched one show. And that show, Boy Meets World, featured a young boy named Corey who was uh, kind of a fatuous little jerkwad most of the time, but it's okay. Cause he's the protagonist. The protagonist can be a fatuous little jerkwad. I mean, it worked for Ted Mosby. It worked for those people from friends and it worked for Corey because Corey had friends and he had school and he had a big brother with whom he had this contentious relationship. And he had a girlfriend who wasn't actually his girlfriend whose backstory got retconned like five times, but that's okay. Oh, yeah. Brutally. All of their backstories yeah. actually got retconned like crazy. Yeah, but the one thing that maintained throughout that show, even with long absences, was his parents, Alan and uh, Amy, the Matthews, Mm -hmm. because they were, I mean, they were kind of modern, smart aleck parents. They were in that same vein as the Tanners from Full House, and they would actually, you know, they would tease their son, and they would occasionally go, oh, you're being an idiot, kid. But they would always be there and they would support him. And there's an episode very late in the run where he has married Topanga and moved out and he's having trouble trying to figure it out. And he goes to his dad and he's like, Dad, Dad, I need your help. And he's like, son, you're a man now. I can't help you anymore. I've given you everything that I can. And now you get to go figure it out. And it's a moment where when I first saw it, it felt really cruel. And then I saw it again. And I saw the regret that Alan felt in having to tell his son this because he wanted to help. But it's at a point where now Corey has to figure it out for himself. And the episode that really cements it is an episode where Eric, the big brother, and Corey are vying for Alan's attention. And Eric, who at this point is just a flat-out lunatic, tells a story at the art gallery of how this particular sculpture, which doesn't look anything like what he's describing, is actually about a monkey who had two monkey babies, but only one coconut and how the monkey was struggling with trying to make that one coconut be enough for both of the monkey babies. And Alan realizes what his kid is telling him. And it's this moment where you, you're not sure whether Eric is really telling his dad, dad, I know you're doing the best you can to split the monkey, the coconut between two monkeys. But of course, you know, he's got one son who's this, uh, 
fatuous little jerkwad, another son who's literally insane. But at the end of the episode, there's this beautiful moment where they walk out and they have an understanding and they pat each other on the back. And as they walk away, you see the name of the sculpture is Monkey with Coconut. Nice. I don't. That doesn't have anything to do with the good being a good parent. I just think it's a great little Philip at the end. But Alan and Amy try really hard to not let their sons and their daughter, who disappears for a season and a half, mm. uh, be <laughs> be terrible people. They lampshade that. Yeah. She comes downstairs in season five after not appearing since season two. And she's like, that's the longest timeout I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But everyone. It's really, really. Tough. All right. We are to our number ones. And um, <sighs> if you are a wife who has lost her husband, and you've got girls to raise. Or if you're a, a husband who has lost a wife and you have boys to raise. Mm-hmm. You better do it the best you can. But if one day that man and that woman meet and they mm-hmm. decide that they must form a family. Is, is it more than a hunch? Then, yeah, I think that the hunch is that if you're going to form a, a, a bunch of people in your family, mm-hmm. then you got to be some really, really understanding parents. Because uh, <laughs> by the time those kids hit puberty, hey, I'm not related to you and I've got the whole act to myself. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> or if hey, you uh, if you play basketball in the house and you break your mom's favorite vase, you got to be understanding. In fact, you're such great parents. You are such great loving parents that you will take in your brother and or sister's child to come live with your family. <laughs> I'm of course talking about the Brady Bunch. I think uh, I think the Bradys are pretty cool parents. I mean, Mike does get angry maybe occasionally, but he's not like, you're grounded. Uh, that singer right. of the monkeys will never visit our house now. He's never like that. And, uh, of course, uh, what's her face? Mrs. Brady, because you never call her by any other name but Mrs. Brady. Uh, you just totally understanding mom. Totally wants to be there for her kids. I don't think she works, Meh. so she goes, I don't know, She maybe she does work, but, you know, she goes to all the, the functions for her kids, make sure they have everything together. She's got to keep a house running with, you know, six kids running around. Mm-hmm. Brady Bunch. I'm, I'm talking about Mike and Carol Brady. Uh, mm-hmm. They're probably the best example of positive parent-child relationships in media. Mrs. Maybe Brady, media. if you're nasty. Mrs. Brady, mm-hmm. if you're nasty. That is right. Uh, Rodrigo, what do you have for number one? You have to give Mike credit. He broke the laws of physics with that house because it's bigger on the inside. I know, right? Well, he is an architect, so there you go. Yes. Yep. What do you have for number one? Uh, my number one is uh, is is interesting to me because it uh, it's a it's another video game and it kind of built into the game the importance of uh, parents. Um, there's a game that's very important to me. It's called Earthbound. Uh, it was on the Super NES and it's the first role playing game uh, on. Uh, video game that I ever really played. Um, and it just kind of changed my outlook on, on a lot of things. But one of the things that it does really well is weirdly is relationships, uh, which a lot of RPGs do not do all that well. And, um, the protagonist, uh, lives with his mom and maybe his dad, it's kind of like you only communicate with your dad on the phone and they say he's working. Um, 
but I wonder if it also implies kind of that the the parents are estranged, but individually the parents are always very supportive to the main character. In fact, if you go too long without calling your mom, you uh, pick up a, like the same way that you can be poison, poisoned or petrified or whatever. You become homesick and your uh, your stats drop. So you have to like call your mom every once in a while or better yet, go back and visit her um, and she'll make you your favorite meal and uh, you can hang out with her and then your homesickness will go away. Uh, your dad is also very supportive. He's always working. So he's uh, where your money to fund your galactic adventure comes from <laughs> um and uh you know he always you you call him to save the game so you call dad to have a chat about what your adve- what adventures you've been having your the game saves and he's like oh by the way i put a little money in your account um so uh yeah it's the the parents from earthbound are this like ingrained part of the system in a way that like you know a lot of like your orphan like magical orphan type characters are are not um mm-hmm. you know the you go back at the end and and you can go back to your family you know it's 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 something that is almost rare to see in games that are almost always kickstarted by parents dying or some major cataclysm or just have these characters that pop out of nowhere like completely made and you're like well where does this person come from it's like well in earthbound you start out in your bed in your room and then you go from there um and you meet a lot of weird critters but your parents are always there when you need them so my my number one the parents from earthbound there you go uh matthew you uh wrap it up with your number one did somebody say magical orphan no i did you did hooray because that leads right into my number one here's the thing about my number one It is very, very difficult to perceive at the beginning of the interaction exactly what is going on between this character and his father. But once it becomes clear, it is 100% clear that Greg Universe may be the most devoted dad in the history of the world. And here's why. Greg Universe fell in love with a woman who actually turned out to be an alien rock person from another planet. Mm -hmm. They had a child together, but in so doing, she had to give up her physical form, in essence dying uh, in childbirth, to give him a son. And as the series Steven Universe begins, we see that Steven is growing up with the Crystal Gems, three more alien shapeshifters, who are teaching him how to use his alien nature and powers. But his father is still a part of his life. His father lives in a van, and I'm not going to say down by the river because it's actually oceanfront. His father works at a terrible job in a car wash, presumably because it's the job you can get in Beach City to stay near his son. And as his son becomes more and more active in this wild universe-spanning superhero crap, he's clearly less and less comfortable with it. His, his frame of reference is gone, but he's still trying to be as supportive as he can. He's trying to be the best dad that he can to a kid that he literally cannot understand what's happening. The stuff that Steven goes through, the, especially at the end of season one, where the crystal gems, homeworld gems come and attack and they drag Steven away into space. And he's explaining to his dad what happened and all this stuff happened. And Oh, but you got away. No, they took me into space and they were going to drag me away forever. And you see this dawning panic 
he cannot understand. He really can't entirely wrap his mind around what's going on. And as the series progresses, we see that he's incredibly uncomfortable around at least one of the crystal gems because of some leftover resentment with her relationship with his dead wife. But he stays around this person who creeps him out because he loves his son, she loves his son, and he's willing to accept her so long as he has the chance to go hide in his van. And throughout the series, you see that Greg is the, in, in many ways, the dullest person in the universe. He loves his music. He loves Rose. And that's pretty much all he's got going for him. But he's a really great dad. He's an interactive dad. He's a dad who tries to talk to his son, who tries to teach him, tries to understand him. And at the very worst, hangs out and plays music with him and just kind of pals around with him. And I think that you can't do worse than just the amount of effort he has to put in to trying to connect to his son, who is also half alien shape-shifting rock. So my number one, obviously, Greg Universe. Also, I want that hair. Well... I want his care when he was 22. Yeah. But, you know, what are you going to do? All right, everybody, that wraps it up for this installment of Top 5. We've shared our Top 5 positive parent-child relationships in media, and now it's your turn. Head over to Majorspoilers.com, use the comment section, fill it out with your Top 5. We'll read it. Other people will read it. And if you found some enjoyment in this episode, maybe you want to see the show continue. Maybe you want to see it happen more than twice a month or once a month if Stephen's not paying attention to the calendar. If you do, Forgets. head over to <laughs> patreon.com slash major spoilers. Throw a few bucks our way and allow this show to continue week after week. We can't wait to see what you put in your list. Why? Because everyone loves a list and we will see you soon. podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.